Well, I started this uh, series on heaven, just occurred to me recently that I don't think I've ever really taught a series on heaven, which seems struck me as odd after 33 years of ministry, since that's where we're going after this. So, <laughs> so I thought we'd do a few weeks and looking in the Bible, what it has to say about heaven, and last week just tried to address the question, is there really a heaven? I mean, you, that's really an essential question. I mean, seriously, Tom, you're saying there really is a heaven after this? And... You know, both from the Bible and from my own personal experience with the Lord, I am absolutely certain that there's a heaven after this. That there's no doubt in my mind that after this, we continue. The Bible says God has set eternity in the hearts of men, which means that every person who's ever lived had his eternity set in their hearts. And so that continues on somewhere, somehow, forever. And so this message of heaven is a very, very important one to me. Well, today I'd just like to just take a few minutes. I, I know what time it is. We're getting late already. And um, just talk about well, what will heaven be like? And you could talk forever about it from the scriptures. But what if we could just get a summary? Would that be all right? I mean, where are we going after this? I think that if you had a choice and you were going somewhere on the earth... Let's say you're taking one of these great vacations. <laughs> Did you ever use a travel agent to take a vacation? Anybody? And God bless travel agents. I don't have any problem with travel agents. But my experience with travel agents has been it's always been different than what they said. Because <laughs> they had never been there. And they can't go everywhere, right? I don't hold that against them, but... The difference between a travel agent and somebody who's been there is big. Is big. And so we're asking the question, what's heaven going to be like? Well, I'm kind of the travel agent here. All I got is the brochure, right? (laughs) I've never been to heaven. I've studied the brochure a lot. And I found a place in the brochure where someone who's been there talks about it. So I'd rather hear from somebody. Let's use his words instead of mine. Okay? Revelation chapter 21, all the way to the back of the Bible. Way back in the Bible. Last book of the Bible. Almost the last page of the, before you get to tables and weights and measures, which is an important part of your Bible. In case you ever have to convert a talent to a drachma or something somewhere. Never been sure why that's there. Holy smokes. But I'm ready. So, in Revelation chapter 21, this man named John, who was one of the followers of Jesus, this is many years after Jesus had died on the cross, risen from the dead. He was exiled to this island. Looked like it was going to be a bad thing. Turned out to be a really good thing. Because there God visited him in perhaps the most powerful vision that's ever been shown any person. And God showed John a lot of things about what's coming in human history and about what eternal life will be like. So the book has both. And in Revelation chapter 21, he's talking about what he saw in heaven. And he said, Then I I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. 
And I heard a loud voice. I hope you like loud. Many times in the book of Revelation, talking about heaven, it's going to be loud. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They'll be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It's done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And to him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. Four essential qualities. First, heaven is going to be like this. The, dwelling, the dwellings of God and humanity will fully merge. You know, here we are, right? This is our dwelling, this earth thing, this dimension of things. And somewhere God is. Somewhere God is. In some other parallel dimension I don't know how you like to think about it. But he's not physically sort of that, what we would call physically here. But we experience his presence in great measure sometimes, don't we? So he gives us glimpses of himself and tastes from his table. But heaven will be where the dwelling, the dwelling of God merges with the dwelling of man. And this has been the heart cry of humanity since Genesis. Anybody get to Genesis yet? should be there. It's the first book. <laughs> and in the early creation, however you want to think about that, it's fine. But the concept is, is that God created humanity and as a special part of the creation in order to have fellowship with them. Created the garden as the place for the fellowship. So that the dwellings of God and men were together in the original creation. But then Satan came in and brought sin. And original sin fractured that so that in the, in, the, in the account in Genesis, man was put out of the garden, so the dwellings of God and men were no longer together, but we were created to have fellowship with him. Sin has interrupted that, and we still have the longing, don't we? It's that, it's that holiness that nothing else will satisfy, what Pascal called the God-shaped vacuum in us. Nothing else, and we try to sort of medicate ourselves against the pain of that thing with all kinds of ways. Thousands of ways we just try to sort of anesthetize ourselves to that pain. But it, it, we, we keep waking up and it's still, but I, I want something I can't get. And the thing you can't get is God. It's to be in his presence because you're created as an eternal being. This is the Bible. This isn't me talking. This is, this is the concept of the Bible. And so the longing of man has always been to dwell with God. And so hundreds of religions develop and even in Israel, the temple was built with the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy of Holies and the Mercy Seat where they said that's where God dwells because man has just longed for God. Well, the Bible says then God sent his son Jesus Christ to make the bridge between man and God and through his death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, he exists as a living bridge between man and God so that here we can have our dwelling in this reality, our, our relationship with him restored and even though our dwelling is not yet fulfilled, we can have tastes of that dwelling now, right? So the dwellings will, match, will, will, will merge. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you have a Bible, flip over there for just a couple minutes here. 2 Corinthians 5, the Apostle Paul is talking all about, about heaven and stuff, and, and here's what he says, among other things. 
He's talking about, now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, a habitation, it says, from God, a house. Um, and, and that's built in heaven. And then he talks about being clothed with what we really long for. For while we're in this tent, verse 4, we groan in our burden because we do not wish to be unclothed. I mean, we just feel like we're unfulfilled. But to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. And now check this out, verse 5. Now it is God who made us for this very purpose. Why did God make you? To have fellowship, to, so your dwellings could merge. And look at this. And he has given us the Spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit, as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. So that our interaction with God through his Holy Spirit, our experience in the Holy Spirit, is God's deposit saying, this is just a taste. It's a deposit guaranteeing what's to come, which is that our habitations would merge, our dwellings would merge, where we'll fully have it. So our experience with the Holy Spirit then becomes very important, does it? Doesn't it? Because it's, listen, it's the appetizer to the whole meal. The Holy Spirit, our experience with the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity here, is the appetizer to what heaven's going to be. So I become very concerned with people who resist the move of the Holy Spirit in their lives. I become concerned with the, ah, I don't need the Holy Spirit. I'm not a Holy Spirit kind of Christian. What other kind of Christian is there? This is what it means to abide in Christ, to be indwelt by His Spirit. And so resisting the move of the Holy Spirit, ah, I'm not just ready for that. Are you going to be ready for heaven? I sure don't want you to be disappointed when you get there. Because if the Holy Spirit's the appetizer and you ain't eating... Mm? we're not trying to make anybody do anything around here we're just trying to set a table create an environment where you can abide in Christ and you can experience the dynamic presence of the Holy Spirit because he says that's what it's like that's what heaven's going to be like second we'll be deeply comforted verse 4 back in our text we'll be deeply comforted Many of us have heard this or read it so many times. He, meaning God, will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. We'll be deeply comforted. Imagine God coming and comforting you. How many of you, like me, have had people come in your life at certain times and they've been a great comfort to you? Come on, raise your hand a little. You know, you've just been in that place, that bad place. And somebody came and they comforted you. Okay, put that on steroids because God is coming to comfort you. Right? God is coming to comfort you. Can you imagine? And you go, you go like, well, you're in heaven. What would you need comforting from? I was thinking about that this week. I came to this conclusion. I think that most of the things that we need to be comforted from in this life come from two sources, either loss or fear. So we lose something, it hurts us, we lose someone, and we need to be comforted. Or we're afraid of something. We need to be comforted. Yeah? I think we're, we may arrive in heaven and need comfort. Why? Because of the absence of people we were assuming would be there. We're praying would be there. I don't know how I'm going to deal with that other than that God comes and wipes the tears from my eyes and explains to me why it's so. 
Every moment will be perpetually new, verse 5. I love that. This is the only part of the thing that causes heaven to make any earthly sense to me. Verse 5, well, it starts in verse 4. The old order of things has passed away. And then it says, he who was seated on the throne, that's God, says, I'm making everything new. I'm making everything new. The Greek tense of this, the verb tense of this Greek word is, is is, it comes in a way that it's perpetually new. So it's always happening. It's not that, hey, I made everything new in heaven and then it's aging and decaying, but it's always new. So the first moment in heaven, that's going to be new, yeah? The second moment in heaven, you won't know you had a first moment. (laughs) If he's making everything perpetually new, you won't know you're in your 90 millionth moment. (laughs) I know! It's a timeless eternity. It's a timeless reality. It blows your mind. Oh, that can't be. That's why he gets to be God. It's a whole other dimension of reality and consciousness. It's a whole other dimension of being alive. You know, we just keep trying to impose our limited view of dimensions back on heaven, don't we? And we say, well, it's going to be this tall and this long and this wide and this color. And we operate here from such a limited perspective on dimensions. I mean, we operate in three or four dimensions. Ten, if you believe in string theory, and six of them are all scrunched up into one little one. Yeah, I watch Big Bang Theory, too. (laughs) You think I knew that any other way? I did check it out to make sure that was right. Well, you know, there are three or four dimensions, and maybe... Maybe for you hippies in the 60s, there was a fifth dimension. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Flashbacks all around the room. Dude. (laughs) Look, we're trying to impose... We're we're fighting with God saying, I, I don't know how heaven could be interesting after the millionth year. Well, that's because you're imposing the limitations of your reality on it. I mean, if it's another dimension into which we're being invited by the Spirit of God for an eternal existence, what makes us think that that's the only other dimension? If God is infinite, he could have infinite dimensions, and we could could spend eternity exploring new dimensions. Oh, come on. That's not in the Bible. That's me. That part's just speculation. But this part is in the Bible. God says, I make everything new. I'm making everything new perpetually. There's no possibility for boredom if it's always new. Okay, number four, ask me what it is. We'll drink from the spring of the water of life. Ask me what it means. I don't know. I just really don't understand that one. But it says, and I'll read it for you, and maybe the Holy Spirit will explain it to you, and you can translate it to me. He said to me, it's done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. Always be refreshed. It's good. It's there. I'm the travel agent at this point saying, be sure to find the spring of the water of life when you get there. I hear it's really good. <laughs> That's all I can say. I mean, we do drink from the Spirit of God here. We do drink from the Spirit of God and enjoy that dynamic, exuberant, sometimes euphoric 
reality in our lives. Maybe that's it, but I can't say for sure. All I know is that Jesus is promising you'll never be thirsty. That's just a glimpse. That's just the beginning of what heaven will be like. And you might look up there and go, I'm not sure that's the heaven I was signing up for. That's because of this propensity we have to try to read the Bible backwards. We start from where we are and we try to make God out in our image. And we start from where we are and we try to make heaven out into our perception of things according to our limitations. But what if we flip that and said, God, why don't you tell me who you are through your word? What that means. And God, why don't you tell me what heaven is? And I, I'm, I'm a little concerned about you if there's nothing up on that wall right now that makes you go, hot oh, diggity, that's going to be great. I'm a little concerned about you. Because I think evidence of being saved, being bought by the blood of Jesus and abiding in Christ, evidence of the Holy Spirit living in you would be there's something up on that wall that goes, I'm looking forward to that. And if it's not there, I don't judge you. I don't judge anybody. But if it's not there, I'm asking you to check your connection with God. Just check your connection with God. I've got to give you the last couple of verses in this, and they're, they're a little stark, so buckle up. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. It's hell. And he explains that in the previous chapter. You say, why do you got to go and say that? Because I don't want any of you to go to hell. Because it's as real as heaven. And you say, oh, as long as I avoid those things, I'll be able to go to heaven? No. This is, a, this is an indication. It says, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, etc. This is an indication of somebody who has not yet met Christ. Because someone who has legitimately met Christ would not be described as those things. Not because they have somehow figured out how not to do those things, but because the life of Christ is living in them, and they're finding out that though they have incidents of sin, and we all do, they would not be characterized by those things. You know, when I first came to Jesus so many years ago, it was because I heard somebody talk about heaven and hell. And they said, if you don't want to go to hell, accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And I said, sign me up. And so I, my coming to Christ was based on my fear of hell. But what I found over a few years of walking with Jesus is that changed. And when I began to experience Jesus in the living reality of his word and his spirit, then I began to change to the point that I no longer feared hell, but I was following Jesus because I wanted to go to heaven. But then something even better happened. I kept following hard after Jesus, and I found that I didn't care about either one of them. I just wanted to experience the living reality of Jesus Christ in my life every moment of every day, from now, this second, until the end of eternity. And then the pressure's off. It just shifted over time. So that now, I don't care what I have in heaven. I don't care if I have a little or a lot. Just so I'm with Jesus. I don't care if I'm tall or short. Just so I'm with Jesus. I don't care if people are following me. Or I'm the last follower in the last line. On the edge of heaven. I just want to be with Jesus. Father God, we pray that you'll come. We want to drink from the water of life. We do. 
We enjoy the water that you pour out on this place, the healing that comes, the salvation that comes, the blessing that comes from knowing the reality of you. I thank you for every person here today, Lord, every single one of them. And I know that it's been your hand that has drawn us together. And so I pray for every person in this room, wherever they are, I don't judge any man. I just pray for every person here and ask that you would lead us, Lord, into the next step of our understanding of you and into the deeper experience of, of, of knowing you. So I pray for those who are here today, Lord, who have never come to that place of really committing their life to Jesus and inviting Jesus to come in. I pray for them today, that today would be that day. I pray for the people who are angry with you. I pray for the people who are disappointed in you. I pray for them. I pray for the people who are all happy about you and all excited about being your son or daughter. I pray for them. I pray for every person in this room, Lord, myself included, that whatever your plan for these next few moments is, that you would draw us closer to yourself. I pray you'll save the lost, Lord. Let not a person escape this room. Let not a person escape this room outside of the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Not a person. Not a person would get back into their car without knowing Jesus as Savior and Lord of their lives. I pray for that. I ask for that. And I pray for the flow of your Holy Spirit for these people and everything that they desire, their heart needs. I pray that you'll just give them your grace, your healing power, and your strength now. Come on, Lord. Just come in. You're welcome here. You're welcome here. We have nothing that we call our own here, Lord. Just, you're welcome to come. Move among us now. In the name of Jesus. Could we have some prayer ministry people just hop up here and make yourselves available to pray? Who are these people you're wondering? They're people just like you who have given themselves to some training so that if you have something you'd like to receive prayer for, that's what these guys are doing up here. They're happy to pray. You'll walk up to them and they'll simply ask you, what are we praying about? You'll tell them. They'll pray with you. We've seen some exciting things happen. We've seen people healed, physically healed. God's still in the healing business. <laughs> We've seen people touched. We've seen marriages restored. We've seen answers, direction given. We've seen all kinds of, really whatever's on your heart is what's going to be on their heart. And also, if you're here today, and you're going, for whatever reason, today I'd like to give my life to Jesus. That's just all sort of connecting. You could walk up to any one of these people, and they're going to say, what are we praying about? And say, I want to become a Christian, or I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to do what the tall, bald guy said, however you want to say it. Just come up to them, and they'll be able to take you from there, pray with you. It'll be real. And they want to give you a Bible and show you where to start reading so you don't leave here wondering what to do next, okay? So church, let's stand together and worship the Lord. And as we do, um, feel free just to move from where you are up to these people who are just waiting to pray with you.